Me and turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin there. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to speak to you tonight a, a, a message I've entitled Soldiers of Christ Arise. And let's stand together, if you would, with me as we read from beginning at verse number uh, 10, actually. We'll start at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's pray. Our Father, we Thank you so much for all your blessings upon us. We thank you, Lord, for the labors that you've given us, the opportunity that we have to serve. We thank you, Father, that you've called us and redeemed us. And we ask tonight that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds and instruct us and enlighten us. Help us to be the soldiers for Christ that we must be. Help us to remember some things tonight that will cause us to, to willingly go into the battle and to fight for the, for the gospel's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was thinking a moment ago, as pastor was saying, he let his wife drive for an hour or so, and it was a scary thing. My wife's not here tonight, so I'll say this. Um, <clears throat> when we got married, we were, uh, we, were, we were up all day, of course, and, and late into the evening. We were not Christians at the time, so you can... You can imagine our reception wasn't exactly what you might call Christian-based. But finally, around 8.30 or quarter to 9, we were able to escape and leave for our honeymoon, which was a 13-hour drive. And as we were driving through the night, I was very tired. And so she said, well, why don't you let me drive for a while? And I, I had really never gone on a long trip with her and let her drive at any time. So I said, all right, well, why don't you drive for about an hour or an hour and a half, and I'll sit over here on the, on the seat and I'll stretch out, and, and I'll, I'll take a nap, and that'll help me, and then I'll be able to drive. Every time I would just start to doze off, they'd have, they had these grooves in the roadside, so that if you doze off when your car hits them, it'd make this horrible sound, and it awakens you. So just as I would begin to doze off, the car would drift over onto those little ridges, and I'd, I'd wake back up. So after two or three tries of that, I finally told her, I'm, I think I'm rested enough. Why don't you pull over and let me drive? But um, uh, my wife's a good driver. I, I tell her all the time when I'm driving, I never need to watch the highway because I know she's there to take care of that for me. So I can enjoy the scenery as we drive, and she'll let me know when I'm coming up on cars and when it's time to stop. And so I, I actually, when I drive, I just enjoy the scenery and look around, have a good time. Tonight, as we sit here safely within our own borders of our nation, Soldiers of the United States Armed Forces are entrenched in battle in countries such as Afghanistan and Iraq. And yet, in peaceful surroundings, all of us as children of God are fully aware of the battle that rages all about us. We read just a moment ago, I'll read it again from Ephesians chapter 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this warfare that we are entrenched in tonight, just as the battlefields in Afghanistan and Iraq are riddled with casualties. There are people that spiritually are wounded and spiritually die in this battle. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I I don't know if it was my military training or, or what it was, but since I've been saved, I've had a sense of a keen sense of awareness of the battle that wages that that rages about me. And as children of God, we must be sober, and that word means serious. We must be serious about our Christianity. I think far too many Christians today are not serious about being a Christian. Oh, they're happy to be a Christian. They're joy, they're glad that they're a Christian, but they're not serious about their Christian life. It's a matter of convenience to far too many people today. But we also are to be vigilant. We're to be watchful and, and cautious. When I, was in, when I was in military, especially in boot camp, I had, I had to pull guard duty. And they used to tell us, if you're asleep on guard duty, you're going to jail. And that scared me. I didn't want to go to jail. And I can remember being on guard duty at 2 in the morning. My eyes were heavy, and I kept thinking, I'm going to go to jail. I got to keep moving here. I got to be, you got to be vigilant. And far too many Christians are asleep in our Christian lives. We're sleepwalking, and the devil is watching us, and he's waiting to seize upon that opportunity when we are weak and when we are vulnerable. And Peter says, like a lion, he will, he will leap out and devour us. Now, we at Berean, those of us who have been here a long time, are no strangers to conflicts and battles. When I arrived in this church in January of 1990, it was a church filled with strife and contention among the membership of the church. But tonight, Berean is a church in harmony. We are a church at peace from within. And really, this is the first time in the 17 years that I've been here that this can be said. So now, more than any other time since since I've been here, we as members of Berean Baptist Church are able to focus our attention on the mission of the church rather than having to focus on domestic squabbles. So given this, what should we do tonight? I'm reminded of the hymn that we often sing. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power. Who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conqueror. If we are going to go forward tonight as an army for Christ and cover this community with the gospel... We are going to have to do it God's way. 
Tonight, I would like to examine a great battle in which the children of God were victorious. And in so doing, I pray that we will learn three important truths that we must remember if we hope to endure in our battles in the Christian life. I'm not going to give you some new revelation tonight. We're just going to remind you of some things that we so easily forget. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. Let's all turn together. Exodus chapter 17. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1 and read through verse number 12. Exodus chapter 17. Beginning at verse 1, I'll read through verse 12. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children, and our cattle with thirst? It's amazing to me how often the people of uh, Israel forgot exactly what they were going through in Egypt. They're, They're actually now telling Moses, Why did you take us away from bondage and slavery so we could come out here and die in the desert? You know, I don't know about you, but I'd rather die a free man in the desert than the devil's slave in the world. Verse 4, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, Take it, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek. And fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand... Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. We read in this story and, and see the victory that God's people had over, over Amalek. And of course, we know that Amalek in the Bible represents the flesh. And we see the victory that God's people had over the flesh in this thing. So tonight I'd like to take and, and, and make three observations from this story 
Three things that I think we need to remember as people of God, as children of God, as soldiers of Christ. Number one tonight, I believe that we need to remember the providence of God. We read just a moment ago in verses five and six. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take it in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. We must remember tonight the providence of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 now. Let's let's turn there, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look at verses number... Uh, beginning at verse number 31. Now, I believe that the reference on the screen is probably wrong because I forgot to change it. We're not going to read backwards. We're going to read verses 31 through 34. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We read here in Matthew chapter 6, The promise that God will take care of us. You know, I I believe that we as Christians anger the Lord when we doubt Him. I believe when we stand there and we fret and worry each day, what what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? We're insulting God. God is a faithful Father. We're going to talk about that in just a little while. And God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Food, clothing, shell. God is going to take care of us. We are his children. I am amazed at how quickly we forget from whom and by what means we are blessed from day to day. While we profess with our mouths that God is our provider... We act as though God did not, does not exist. And we act as if everything rests upon our own strength and our own abilities to survive. But I'll remind you today that we are nothing apart from God. I've been a Christian now for 26 years. And in all that time, I have not suffered lack of anything. My God has been faithful to take care of me. And we must remember God's providence. Now, how does God exercise providence in our life? Let me share some things with you. First, by his provision for his saints. God demonstrates his providence by his provision for his saints. In Psalm 37, in verse 25, King David writes, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. 
King David said, God, as I have never had to go out and beg for, for my basic needs, my God has always supplied all that I need. Now, who in this room tonight can stand now and give testimony to the unfaithfulness of God to care for you? I dare to say that none can stand and give such testimony. For God is indeed faithful unto the uttermost. He is faithful to provide and to care for his children. However, if we do suffer lack, it is not because of God's unfaithfulness, but rather it is because we have been foolish with all that God has given us. God promised to give us all that we need. He promised to feed us. You know, bread and soup can fill you and take care of you. He didn't promise to give you filet mignon wrapped in bacon, did he? He promised to care for you. He promised to provide what you need. And we receive from God what we need. But it is our own greed, our own pride, and our own foolishness that causes us to squander away what God has given us. Then we turn and say, God is not faithful to us. But I stand before you tonight and say that God indeed is faithful to all his children. And God proves his providence by his provision for his saints. But then secondly tonight, I say that God proves his providence by his preservation of his saints. Not only by, by our provision does God prove his providence over us, but also by his preservation of his saints. In Psalm 37, we read verses 23 and 24, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. In Psalm 37, in verse 28, we read, For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Every one of us here tonight, without exception, could share stories of unexplainable and unbelievable events that have taken place in our lives. Events that literally saved our life. I remember back in 1983, I was, I was bus captain of, of a bus, and, and my Sunday school bus had been used to take the ladies in our church to a conference. It's a bad idea, by the way. Never use your church buses to transport people. It's a bad idea, other than for Sunday school. Well, they, th- this conference was in Mississippi, and around 9 o'clock at night, my bus driver, who had taken time off work to drive the ladies there, called me up at home and said, uh, Brother Dalton, we're not going to be running the bus tomorrow morning. I said, well, Frank, why aren't we going to run the bus? He said, because she's burned up on the side of the road here in Mississippi. So we had an old van, and, and, and that was going to be my means of transportation for bus kids in the morning. So I rushed over to the, to the barnyard where we kept all of the buses, and I jumped in that old van, and I was driving it along the highway to, to tank it up so to make sure it had gas for the morning. 
And I'm driving down this old country road in Louisiana, middle of the night, dark as can be. And I have one of our one of our guys in the church is following me in case I run out of gas along the way because it was it was pretty low. And as we're driving, I can hear all kind of noise, but I don't know what's what, what in the world's happening. But all of a sudden. The wheels on the van just lock up. And the van begins to, to just wildly spin on the road. And it went down the embankment and, and, and didn't roll somehow or other. It's spinning. It didn't flip. It went down the side and went along and there was a huge uh, culvert there. I barely missed that. And it just came to a stop. Right? Trees everywhere. Water all over the place. You know, a big swamp. And all of a sudden, the man that was following, Brother Calvin, rips open the driver's door to see if I'm okay. And I'm in the passenger seat. Didn't have seat belts. That thing was spinning so wildly, I flew over onto the other side of the van. I was on the passenger side of the van. And, and he told me, he said, I can't believe you survived. I said, I can't believe I survived either. I don't even know what happened. And, and the axle had, had, had no oil in it, a grease or whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not a mechanic. But it seized up, and, and the whole thing just started spinning wildly on the highway. I have no doubt in my mind that that was the hand of God that night that kept me alive. I had to go past so many trees and, and so many things that could have flipped that van and, 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 and been my demise. And through all of that, the Lord knew was, was right there and he preserved me alive. And each one of you tonight could stand and give testimony of a story just like that. How that just with no explanation, God preserved your life alive. And God proves, shows his providence in our lives by his preservation of his saints. And then thirdly, we see the providence of God by his protection over his saints. In Psalm 91, in verse 11, we read, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. This truth is best illustrated by the poem Footprints in the Sand. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each, sand, in each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, you have not been there for me? And then the Lord replied, The times when you have seen only one set of footprints in the sand is when I carried you. Each of us here tonight would do everything within our power to protect our families. When I go to bed at night, I make sure the doors are locked. I make sure all the windows are closed. I do everything I can to make sure that my family is safe and protected. 
Well, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And I'm, I'm living testimony here tonight that we can depend on God because he never fails us and he never forsakes us. So we care for our families. We protect our children. We protect our, our, our homes and our, and our families. So are we better than God? Are we more dependable than God? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, we read, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So tonight, as we go forward in this church to do the work of God in this place, let us remember the providence of God. Then secondly, let us remember the power of prayer. The power of prayer. We read a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses, Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now in this, we have two possible explanations. First, that the rod of Moses served as a banner, a symbol which gave the soldiers of Israel courage when they saw it lifted into the air. However, if this were the case, this could have been accomplished by setting the rod up in a fixed position. The second explanation of this verse is that this was symbolic of prayer. And this is the interpretation accepted by most Jewish scholars. The Targums of Jonathan in Jerusalem paraphrase the words of this verse this way. When Moses lifted up his hands in prayer, the house of Israel prevailed, but when he restrained his hands from prayer, the house of Amalek prevailed. So when Moses prevailed in prayer, the power of God was upon the soldiers of Israel. However, when Moses let down in prayer, the house of Amalek prevailed upon the house of Israel. Now, as I said earlier, Amalek is representative of the flesh. And and this scenario is very true in our lives. When we prevail in prayer, we have victory over the flesh. However, when we fail in prayer, the flesh overtakes us once again. Now, we have all heard hundreds of messages on prayer, so I will not endeavor here tonight to give us another message on on, on prayer. Instead, I just want to remind us of one thing concerning prayer in our lives. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, we read, Confess your faults one to another, and pray uh, one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I fear tonight that one of our greatest failures in America as Christians is our failure to effectually pray. Oh, we take weak stabs at prayer, but we as Christians have become so adulterated in our doctrines, in our morals, and in our principles that we have no idea 
what power really lies in prayer. We have become so commercialized by Hollywood, we have been so influenced by the, by the, by the Hollywood industry that in our hearts we really don't believe that prayer has that much benefit or power. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 20 through 22, we see the words of our Savior. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. There's great power in prayer. Great power in prayer. But you know what the problem is? We don't really believe that. We don't believe it. We believe it from the neck up, but not in any other way. Jesus says, if you have faith, if you have real faith, and if you do not doubt God, you can command the mountains to be cast into the sea and they will obey you. That's the amount of power that God has made available to you and I in prayer. And I'm thankful for Berean as prayer warriors. I really am. Our church is is faithful to pray. When people bring needs before us, we pray. And, and, And we have seen, in this church, we have seen many miracles performed by God through prayer. But how much more can we do if we just fully understood the real power available to us in prayer. If we are going to affect our community with the gospel of Christ, if we are going to, as the church in Jerusalem did, turn our world upside down for Jesus, we are going to have to remember the power of prayer. And we are going to have to learn to harness this great power in our ministry in this place. So tonight, as we, as soldiers of Christ, endeavor to move forward, let us remember first the providence of God in our life. Secondly, let us remember the power of prayer. And then thirdly, I I want us to remember the purpose of unity. The purpose of unity. In Exodus chapter 17, earlier in verses 12 through 13, we read, But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. When Moses' hands became too heavy, Aaron and Hur came to his aid. Now, if you'll notice from the verses that, that, are, that are, are projected up there, uh, they did two things for Moses. First, they brought a stone for him to sit. And second, they helped him keep his hands raised. What is, why is unity in the church so important? Why is it so important that we love one another, 
that we be in accord as a church. Why is that so important? Well, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, the Lord states, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. In Luke chapter 11, and verse 17, we read, But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, King Solomon writes, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. From these verses we see the importance of of unity. We see the importance of brotherly love, of brotherly kindness. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will fail. A husband and wife who have different agendas, different values, that marriage will not last. A business where the partners in a business have different, different agendas and different plans and different Uh, goals, that business will fail. And a church that has strife and contention among itself will not stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will fall. The Bible states that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The church cannot be destroyed from without, but the church can be destroyed. From within. We, we need not fear tonight, Satan. We need not fear tonight the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, the world, the principalities, the power. We need not fear them tonight, for it is God that defends the church. It is God that builds the church. It is God that secures the church. But you better be afraid of your own heart, your own temper your own pride, because these are the things that will bring us down. Pastor mentioned it this morning about Jiminy Cricket's little saying, let your conscience be your guide. And I've always told the, the high school students, don't ever trust your conscience, because your conscience is corrupt. It's defiled, and it gets worse and worse every day. The church can be destroyed from within. And we must understand that. The first thing Scripture mentions is that Aaron and Hur brought a stone for Moses to sit on. They provided rest for Moses. They realized this was going to be a long battle, and they provided Moses with a, with a way to sit and rest in his labors. And this is the responsibility that we share tonight. Now, with the time remaining, let me look at two aspects of our brotherhood and fellowship together. First, on your study sheets, we are to provide rest for one another. As I just mentioned, the first thing Aaron and Hur did for Moses was they they brought a stone so he could sit, so he could rest. And you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to provide rest 
for one another. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, we read, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This is the responsibility that each of us share tonight. We are not to heap burdens upon each other. Rather, we are to lighten the burdens that already exist upon our brothers and sisters. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4, speaking of the Pharisees, the Lord states, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Often it has been that I have seen older Christians heap burdens upon new Christians that come into the church. Burdens that a new Christian cannot bear. And in this, the older Christians often feel that they are justified. When in fact, they are crippling the work of the church rather than helping it. We're to, lift, we're to help each other. We're to, we're to lift one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not to, we're not to lay burdens upon each other. All these rules that are running around our country and, 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 our, and our Baptist churches, forgive me for saying so. If you don't do everything just right, then you're ostracized. You're excommunicated. Listen, we, we don't need to be heaping burdens on each other. We need to be helping each other carry the burdens that we have. Listen, I appreciate all of the fathers in this room. Now, my children are grown. <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure out how to get rid of them. <clears throat> if, any, if any of you have any secrets, let me know. But I, I appreciate you fathers. I, I know the burdens that go along with raising children. I raised three. I understand the financial burdens. I understand the emotional pressures. I, I understand and appreciate all of that. And you know... We need to help each other. We live in a society today that claims that they want to be a help to, their, to each other, but they're not helping each other. They're hindering each other, and they're hurting each other. So we're to provide rest for one another. And then secondly, we are to provide strength for one another. In Galatians 6, 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Aaron and Moses, after providing rest for Moses, realizing that it was his responsibility to lift his arms in prayer unto God, each one got on the side and grabbed an arm and helped him hold them high. We are to help our brethren lift their loads. But you might ask tonight, how can I do this? I have my own burdens, I have my own problems. How can I carry my burdens and at the same time help my brother carry his burdens? Well, the answer is in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. 
I've, I have had just as many problems as everyone else has had in life. I, I've, had, I've had financial problems. I've, I've had problems raising children. I, I've had um, marital issues. I mean, you know, my wife and I, we're deeply in love and we appreciate each other, but we've had our, you know, we've had our, our I mean, I've looked like, I haven't looked like Rocky, but I felt like Rocky sometimes. Yo, Adrian! And I can't explain it. Pastor, I can't explain it. I've left my home over the years with, with burdens upon me, my own personal problems, and I, I, I've gone to, to help those that the Lord has le- led me to help. And, and, and I don't know how, but somehow, God just always seems to take care of my problems for me. I'll leave my house with burdens and problems, And I'll go out and I'll help some brother or sister in Christ. And when I come home, my problems are solved. The Lord solved them. And let me tell you, when the Lord solves a problem, it stays solved. Oh, I tell you, I could stand here for hours. Some of you think I am. But I could stand here for hours tonight and just just share story after story after story with you of how the Lord has, has, has worked in, in, in the home, in my wife and I, in our lives. And it's all because God said, you come unto me and you take my yoke upon you and I'll take your yoke upon me. And you know what the Lord's yoke is? To love my brothers and sisters and to help them, to love the lost and to preach the gospel. That's the yoke of the Lord. To be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. To love as we ought to love. To tell the truth. To live the gospel in my life. That's the yoke of the Lord. And the Lord says, if you just come and you do that, I'm going to take your burdens and I'm going to carry them for you. I don't don't know how to explain it. I really don't. I'm not eloquent enough to completely explain this tonight. All I know is this. When I lay my burdens on Jesus, he gives me the strength to carry not only my own burdens, but the burdens of my brothers and sisters as well. And this is the result of the right attitude. The right attitude concerning my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul writes, For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we, we must remember the purpose of unity tonight. And we must labor to provide rest and strength for one another. Tonight, Berean is in the position to do great things for God in Rohnert Park. We are at peace within. We are all in one accord. So what should we do? If we are going to be soldiers for Christ, and if we are going to go forward and fill Rohnert Park with the gospel, there are some things we must remember tonight. First, we must remember the providence of God. Second, we must remember the power of prayer. And lastly, we must remember the purpose of unity. As the pastor comes, let's pray.
Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit of God, I I pray that you would have used this message to to speak to the hearts of your people, to, to strengthen us, to help us understand all these things. And Lord, we we stand before you tonight humbled and we ask that you would use each of us in this place not to to make a name for ourselves or to make a name for our church, but to glorify your name, to go forth in this community and preach the gospel, to, to be a living testimony of the grace of God. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us tonight. Unite us. Unite us as one that we might go forth as an army for Christ, soldiers of Christ. Help us to endure in the battle. And Father, in all these things, we we depend on you, and we give you all the glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.